This is Talking Dirty, Get Gardening's podcast for plant lovers. The video version is available on our Get Gardening YouTube channel, so you can head over there if you want to see our ugly mugs, and there are pictures of the plants there as well. There are full plant lists on our Twitter and Instagram at Get Gardening Now, so go check those out. But without further ado, let's start Talking Dirty. Hello and welcome to episode 55 of Talking Dirty. Over at East Ruston Old Vicarage, looking positively gleeful this morning, it's Alan Edward Herbert Gray, our happy and very handsome horticulturalist. And over in Cambridgeshire, in the other direction, we have Thordis Maria Sophia Friedrichsen, looking absolutely admirable in apricot. <laughs> I have had this top described as like the thing you buy oranges in, like a tangerine net, which is kind of accurate really it's one of those sort of crochet holy tops well, i tell you what it's the best best bit of upcycling i've seen today <laughs> i think you need quite a lot of tangerine nets to fit me in um looking very smart and also being a real soldier this morning because he's just put his back out uh, we have uh, we're joined <laughs> he's well drugged up we're joined <laughs> by conrad mccormick who is well first and foremost at that botanic guy on Instagram, who I follow avidly for all kinds of exploits from your garden. Also garden designer, journalist, environmentalist, really nothing that you don't do, Conrad. But what's your middle name? My full title is Conrad Patrick Matthew McCormick. There has to be a Patrick in there because I'm from Ireland, so. Conrad, <laughs> you join the ranks of people with three first names. That's all of us. Well done. <laughs> Yeah, and some really great Irish names in there as well. Yeah, yeah. I can't compete with your name, but like that's, that's a fantastic. Your full name is fantastic. The best thing about me is most people still, when they see it written down, think I'm going to be some hulking Swedish man, which can be very disappointing <laughs> when they meet me. Um, but I, I do like a little bit of ambiguity. Now, I mentioned your Instagram page. It is just Full of boisterous foliage and you you really love exotic plants I suppose yeah. first and foremost but I get the impression from you you love all things gardening and horticulture related when did it all start for you? Oh so many years ago I've been gardening since childhood uh, my parents when they they bought an old farmhouse an old Georgian farmhouse and they did it up um, I, we moved there when I was about four and then as these things go they didn't actually start the garden for a few years so it must have been when I was about eight or nine they finally began to start the garden and get in some sort of shape. And I, um, my first plants I ever bought were a couple of heathers and a bag of daffodils. Now the daffodils are still, there's still a couple of them in the garden sort of pop up every spring, but um, sort of from then on, I kind of haven't really looked back. Just gradually over the years and through my teenage years, I took over the garden then um, and added more and more plants to it. And then when I got to sort of my mid-teens, I discovered I was going to say online shopping, but back then it was the uh, what the mid nineties. Mid nineties, there was no online shopping at that time, so it was mail order. Yeah, you had to send away for catalogs from the back of the garden magazines, and then send off a postal order um, with the money yeah. on it. And the first exotic plant I bought was a a palm tree. So yeah, the Trichocarpus fortunae, which is most people's introduction to kind of exotic gardening, and it's from that then it just kind of snowballed and got bigger and bigger and bigger, and I. I really love exotic plants, but I really love sort of normal, ordinary plants as well. So I try to mix them all together in the garden and I hope that that kind of works. You must have been the most impoverished teenager in your friendship group. 
Well, they, nobody knew about it, of course. I had to keep this. A t a, this was a, like my deep, dark secret. Nobody <laughs> at school knew that I had a greenhouse at home and that I was gardening and been a complete plant nerd. Um, and even like when I started going out with my girlfriend in my late teens, like it was maybe about a year before I actually introduced her to the to my greenhouse as well. So it was, like, as I say, a deep, dark secret because it wasn't particularly cool. I'm still not cool. Um, but gardening itself has kind of over the last few years, as you know, with the whole explosion of Instagram and all that has really taken off and it, we're kind of considered a bit more cool now by some people anyway. Um, but yeah, all my all my pocket money was spent on on mail order plants. Yeah. And when you were getting into gardening, because obviously you started gardening with your grandparents when you were really small. Was there ever a point where you fessed up to your mates? What was the cool factor around horticulture when you were young? Me? Yeah. There wasn't one. <laughs> there really wasn't one. I mean, no, it was just so uncool. And you were a nerd. You know, you were you were just, um, you know, if you, did, if you weren't interested in football and all those kind of things, I mean, it, it didn't count. But I do remember, I mean, listening to Conrad just then, the backs of gardening magazines where you saw advertisements, that was the sole source of anything new and different. And when you're young and you want to grow something new and different, I mean, you know, that's where you look. Um, and to buy, or not to buy, but to actually send away for these catalogues. I mean, sometimes these nurseries, they were mean enough to charge you something for them. <laughs> Lots of them were free. But you could, I mean, that that added to my plant knowledge probably more than I give credit for because I was introduced to these plants and somehow reading the descriptions of them, what they did, how they grew, where to grow them, all those kind of things. I mean, it was a revelation. Most of these sort of plants that we, you were finding out when you're young, when you're finding new plants, they're not listed very much in gardening encyclopedias and those sort of things because they're not fashionable enough. You know, they're not readily available or fashionable enough. But it was, but it was really great fun doing your detective work and finding new stuff. And I'm still like that today. I mean, I still try new things, you know. Um, there's a... There's a particular plant, I think it's uh, it's called, um, is it called the Persian Shield, Strobilanthes, something or other. Do you know it, Conrad? Yeah, with the purple sort of shiny leaves and that catches yeah. the light. Yeah. yeah, well, that is notoriously difficult to grow or to get through the winter. I don't know whether you've tried it or not. Tried um, it a lot, but... <laughs> you see, most people have, but I have found the secret of success with it, and it's total winter neglect. Oh, okay. Well, I'm good at that. <laughs> so I shove it in a corner of the greenhouse and I do nothing with it. And it kind of gets grown over and I think, oh, it's dead. It's gone. Where is it? We muck the greenhouse out and there it is. And I just repotted it this last week because I knew some friends are coming to the garden and they always talk about Persian shield. And so I just left it in the middle of the greenhouse on a table so they'd be sure to see it. And it was really quite fun, you know, because they said, see your Persian shield's looking wonderful. <laughs> Brilliant. Let's try again. <laughs> What's your climate like where you live, Conrad? If you're big into your exotics, are you battling some hard winters or are you all right? No, because I'm up on the north coast of Northern Ireland, so I'm on the Antrim coast and I get the benefit of the Gulf Stream coming up around. Um, a normal winter would be like minus three, maybe minus four. Like there was that winter 10 years ago, was it 2010, 11 or something where, you know, it was really, really bad and it got down to minus nine, I think. Um, but that would be kind of, yeah, that would be exceptional. Like we all lost loads of plants and tree ferns and the likes then, but 
normal winter is generally quite wild or mild sorry wild as well because it's quite windy up here um you know we got the garden we have now it's open to the east so there tends to be a breeze blowing every day and the easterly winds come through and can be quite cold um but apart from that yes generally it's a nice climate to grow in we don't get the extreme heat that you would get over you know in the south and the east of england um you know a hot day here is about 24 degrees this summer we get up to about 26 i think um and that's a really 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 hot day um it's, it's just that kind of really soft mild irish climate um the rain of course is the thing so there's a lot of plants that i grow like from new zealand and all that don't mind it but then i'm also into succulents and exotics and then the mixture of the cold and the wet over the winter can be the death knell to a lot of exotics so it's fine or a lot of the sort of plants from drier climates that like to be dry over winter so it's kind of finding the ones that are able to take that cold and also the mixture of wet at the same time but generally it's a nice it's a nice climate for a lot of plants it's quite interesting to hear that you lost tree ferns in that winter because um, we didn't. And here on the east coast of northeast Norfolk, the temperature is the, the annual frost days are the same as Devon, Cornwall, the west coast of Scotland. But I, I think when we do get frost, we get quite a lot of frost, if you see what I mean. But when we had that hard winter inland here, in, inland in Norfolk, it was minus 10. Our lowest temperature was minus two. Wow. Now that's enough to enough to knock out the bananas which you did yeah because yeah, of um but tree ferns were all absolutely fine and it was i think two years before that we decided not to wrap anything in the garden again because plants had just got too big and yeah. we're getting older <laughs> although you didn't hear me say that <laughs> i never wrap my tree ferns at, you know because in a normal winter they, they don't need it at all but that winter was exceptional. Um, like the winter before, we got, there was actually two bad winters in a row. The winter before, it got yep. down to minus seven, minus eight here, which again yeah. is quite unusual, and they were fine with that. But just the, the minus nine was just too much that year. Yeah, that's true. Now, it was quite funny when we were um, planning this podcast. I did say, well, if you want to go for a walk about your garden, if your Wi-Fi will stretch, that'd be lovely. And you pointed out that that wasn't very feasible because you are currently slightly building site like you are in the middle of some quite big garden projects yeah so um we've been in this house for four years now four and a half years and we just had like a you know a typical concrete patio you know concrete slab patio um so this year we've finally taken the plunge to invest in a nice terrace out the back so um we did a lot of preparatory work um a lot of hand digging I don't know how many tons of topsoil we've dug out and then how many tons of ballast and all that we've wheelbarrowed back in. Um, the whole family were involved in it at times, some more keen than others. Um, <laughs> so, that, yeah, there's been a lot of work going on after the last couple of weeks because we, I'm not I'm not actually laying the patio itself. We've got somebody to do that, but we were going to do all the preparatory work. And we were away on holidays there or just about three weeks ago. We were down in Cornwall and then I got a text to say that they were coming then the following week. So then it was when we got home, it was a mad rush then to get everything prepared. Um, but at the minute, the, there's just a mountain of topsoil in the middle of the lawn and all the plants and tables and everything that would normally be in the patio are all in the lawn. So it just it looks like a complete disaster zone. But I'm hoping within the next week, everything will be back to back to normal again. And uh, have you got exciting 
visualizations, particularly with your kind of garden designer background for how you're going to then enjoy this patio when it comes to displaying your plants? Yeah, well, I've got loads of I've got loads of plants in pots, you know, a lot of succulents and things that I've hauled in under cover over winter, so they'll all have to go out um, again. And then um, I've been adding to that. And then Danielle, my wife, she's saying, oh, don't be adding too many pots. Don't be taking up the whole patio with plants I don't want to be too cluttered. So um, it'll be finding that balance. And then over time, we'll sort of slowly slip a few extra ones in. She always notices, but um, uh, I kind of get away with it. And then I've got a big massive stock tank as well. I've got some of our big massive water tanks. I've got four of those and I've filled two of them with succulents um, and I have a couple more to do out the, out the side of the house. So that's the next project as well. The side of the house that used to be a driveway, I'm going to lift the concrete there and then extend the garden up because when you have a small garden, it's not overly big, you know, it's sort of like a typical suburban sized garden. We're on the edge of a village, um, but every, you know, every square foot of ground is really important so I've been eyeing that up for the past couple since we moved in so um, hopefully this autumn I'm going to make a make a start on it. So exciting so seeing as we can't do a walk and talk around your garden um, what have you brought for show and tell? Well my garden as you said is full of exotic plants um, a lot of them are hardy so I go for plants that will give you know a really good foliage and they're hardy in my conditions so they're big leaves or interesting leaves and then I sort of have spots of colour. So I kind of think of it as kind of like that jungle garden, like a Henry Russo painting, where you have loads of foliage and then you have sort of splashes of really intense colour. And then it changes, you know, over the summer with the likes of lilies and things that I have in pots. And I put them through the garden and then when they're done, then I move them back out. So my favourite is, I love flowers, but I always seem to gravitate towards foliage. And I really love the Aureliaceae family. So the likes of just basically the ivy family, but the more exotic cousins of ivy. I really love Schefflers and they seem to do well, despite the fact that it's quite windy. I grow quite a few of them in the garden. There's Schefflera, just again, a leaf, Taiwaniana, which is fantastic. So you've got your umbrella plant, which you grow as a house plant indoors. It's in countless you know, doctors' waiting rooms and dentists' waiting rooms up and down the country. It's not very fashionable, but Sheffler Taiwaniana was introduced a few years. I think I'm not sure if it was Creek Farm, one of the first ones introduced. It was, yeah. yeah, yeah. So and mine came from Creek Farm. They had they attended a plant fair over in Dublin, so I drove all the way to Dublin specifically to pick up a Sheffler from them. And it came through there, that really hard winter. In my previous garden, we had a big massive sycamore tree, Acer pseudoplatinus, and it was quite shady and dry. And I planted this right under the canopy of that. So it did really well in dry shade. Never had any extra watering. And then when we moved here, I dug it up and shifted it. And it's grown in almost pure clay as well in this garden. And it's, you know, it's rumping away, doing really well. Has never flowered yet, but I'm hopeful in the next year or two it'll flower. And then I have another one. So they're similar leaves, of course, but this is Sheffera to Anna, which is that size. And then this one used to be called Sheffler Impressa. It's now, I think it's Rhododendrofolia. So again, it's quite large leaves and that's one of the hardier ones too. So I would say minus eight, minus nine shouldn't be any bother to it. And again, it's taken quite a bit of wind. And then a few years ago, we were in Cornwall and I saw a Sheffler in Hardy Exotics Nursery near Penzance and it was labelled as AFF Taiwaniana or something like that. So they obviously thought it looked like a Taiwaniana, but the leaves were just a wee bit broader. And as it's matured, 
Now, this isn't the biggest leaf, but they've just got really, really big. And it normally produces two flushes of leaves in the year. So this one is a spring set of leaves. So that's two on the end there. And then this one is triple the size. And then it will normally produce flush in about August or September. And the leaflets are even bigger than this. So they could be another, you know, four inches longer and another good inch wider. But I've put it out online to try and work out, you know, in various groups to try and work out, you know, the species name of it. But nobody has been able to up with a name for it mm. but as I say there are larger leaves in that again but it's getting quite high so I wasn't able to actually reach up <laughs> and get them I so, bet all the people who've been trying to work out what it, are, what it is are just really jealous because that's some beautiful kind of boisterous foliage and I, I can imagine in the breeze as well you said your garden's quite breezy you get so much movement you do yeah it actually looks like um there's a really large-leaved uh, shelf or a house plant and I cannot remember the species name of it but somebody actually thought that it was that. No, it's not, obviously, because that one's completely tender. But, the, um, you know, that grows in a tropical climate. But it's really fantastic looking plant. And, you know, the, the fact that you can grow these outside in Ireland and in the UK is amazing. Now, maybe not in, like, if you're in a real frost pocket, you know, in the middle of County Cardo in Ireland, or if you're, you know, in a really cold area in England or in the highlands of Scotland, maybe not. But, you know, as I say minus five minus six is no issue to it and then another member of the Aureliaceae family Pseudopanax I grow quite a few of these in the garden I have some really lar large leaved ones like uh, Latius which is now Neopanax Latius it used to be Pseudopanax Latius but there's been a few hybrids of these have appeared over the last few years as well some with broader leaflets so normally you have Pseudopanax crassifolius which has sort of a single long leaf um you know and the leaf could be 12 inches long at least and some people don't like them at all because they think they look like dead sticks you know with the really you know the really long leaf and they're kind of brown as well it's said that they developed that look basically they're from new zealand and it was so that they wouldn't be grazed on by the likes of the giant mole bird so that you know they basically look dead you know when they were until a certain height with the brown leaves and they were ignored and then when they get to about, you know, maybe 12, 15 foot high and about 15, 20 years old, then they mature into a different, you know, a more normal looking tree. It's still an exotic tree, but but there have been a few of these have appeared in recent years. This one is uh, Pseudopanax chainsaw, and it has a trifoliate leaf. So rather than the normal single leaf, which, you know, just, so just one stem or a couple of stems and then these leaves hanging down, you're getting three times the amount of foliage on it's really nice so i've dotted them through the garden because they're quite light and canopy and then they don't really shade out plants underneath so you can you know you can have them as exclamation marks planted and among other things lower growing plants and perennials and then these shoot up Conrad, can i ask you something yes pseudopanax um crassifolius mm -hmm. which is the one with just the single long leaves yeah when it gets to a certain age, you're absolutely right. It gets about 10, 12 feet. It puts out its adult leaves. Yeah. They're dull. They're boring. Yeah. They <laughs> can little, yeah. little white flowers. I've got two of them. Now, I'd just like to know whether you've ever had any experience of anybody cutting them back to see whether they will reshoot. That is what I've been waiting for. So mine, the one that I have, I grew it in the previous garden and they move really easily as well, I find. So I grew yeah. it in the previous garden and I moved it here and it's not, I think it's about maybe 12 foot tall and it must be about eight, nine years old. So it probably won't be that long until it, it 
you know, turns into adult foliage, but that's what I'm waiting for, the, you know, to see if it's still back, you know, maybe a foot high. Yeah. If it revert to the juvenile form again, I think it might, but only time will tell, and I'll, I'll definitely try it, and if it works, I'll, I'll let you know. You've convinced me, I think, because I think um, I'm going to try it anyway, because I have to face the fact that every time I look at them, I think, yeah, I'm a bit disappointed with you. You know, you 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 were, you were <laughs> like most people, you were prettier when you were younger. <laughs> So I, think, I think I'll do it anyway and I'll let you know, eh? <laughs> Fair enough. It's just it's grown up to be a disappointment, really. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, I think I think it I think it should work, you know, because I think there's a lot of plants, you know, when you cut them back, if they're if they're ones that if they like sort of eucalyptus as well, you know, if they've mature leaves, if you cut them right back to ground level, yeah. you know, they yeah. often revert back to the juvenile form for a few years. Um and they do cut back quite well because that one Normally they grow as a single stem, but where I had it, I wanted a wee bit more foliage, so I had cut it back, and it, I think it has four different stems now. So they do re-sprout from older wood lower down, but yeah, yeah, definitely worth experimenting with. Yeah, and if it's you know it's at the stage where you're not liking it, where you don't like it anyway, you yeah, know you're exactly. probably going to cut it down and take it out anyway. So it's definitely worth you know pulling it or you know experimenting with this. <laughs> I know you grow this in your garden um, because I was in your garden maybe about five years ago in the exotic, right. I think it's an exotic garden I think you grow it from memory yeah, yeah. So it's yeah. a fantastic plant Thoris you probably don't have this in your garden no <laughs> believe me I want it <laughs> so, tetrapanics papyrex now some people there's like a coating on the back and some people it's called indumentum yeah, endometrium, yeah, yeah, that's the word. And some people, if they breathe that in, it can really go for their lungs. But I don't seem to have any issues with that, so you need to be careful. But it's... Yeah. This isn't the biggest leaf. I actually took this one off because it was bashing into the tree ferns beside it. Like, they can get even bigger than this. It's just, like, to be able to grow a tree... Well, it is ultimately a small tree, you know, um, in our conditions. It's absolutely fantastic. And it's completely hardy. Like if, if it gets knocked back in a really hard winter, nine times out of ten, it's going to re-sprout from below, below ground level. That's the only thing with it that it can can be a wee bit invasive, but will send up suckers. Does your sucker much on? Yeah, it does. Um, and I think partly it's caused by people digging around underneath yeah. them and disturbing the roots, you know, and, and that kind yeah. of thing. But when I used to propagate that before, I mean, when I had a small plant center, just plants left over in the garden. The way I propagated that was to dig the roots up and slice the roots into lengths of about a foot, two foot long, curl them around in a pot, plant them, new plants. Yeah, yeah. I've heard people doing that as well. Mine, I've, mine throws up normally a couple of suckers a year and I just chop them and dig them up and give them away, you know, yeah, yeah. To for them. But if you're looking, if you're wanting to do in larger quantities, if you have nurture, yeah. No, I just said that I don't react to that. No, I just sorry. noticed that. <laughs> <laughs> so just ignore what I said earlier. <laughs> don't have like a bad back and bad lungs. I'm That's too much. Well. I'm going to be <laughs> <laughs> no, 
Now, obviously, you're you're growing that and you're growing all of these things in a small garden. Now, I admittedly have to find room for the other half and the dog. Um, but clearly, I mean, you are you are proof that you don't have to have Alan's 32 acres to be able to enjoy all of these plants. I mean, a little bit like Mike Clifford, lots of the people we talk to, you managed to enjoy all these plants in a small space. Yeah, big plants in a small space. That's what they always say, because, you know, especially if you're new to gardening, you kind of think, oh, I have to put, you know, I have a small garden, a small suburban garden, and then you have a wee border around the side and it's a foot wide and you put little tiny plants in it. But to really have impact on the garden, <coughs> I'm going to start choking now. <laughs> to, <coughs> to have impact on the garden, big plants, big plants actually extend the garden because they grow upwards and they grow outwards and they just extend the level of, in, the level of interest that you have um, and they make a small space look bigger because you can't see it all at once if you have a small garden and then you're just surrounded by three fences on three sides and then the house and the fourth. You feel quite enclosed, you know, it's quite boxy, whereas when it's all full of foliage and flowers, it does definitely feel much bigger. That remark that Conrad just made about using bigger plants and things is absolutely right. It does extend. And when you go up, you do what Beth Chateau once said to me many years ago, you paint the sky. Because we don't think that, we, you know, we, we forget that there's there are plants that grow tall. And those plants that grow tall, they have the extra dimension. <laughs> and they just increase, providing they're not all on top of you, but they increase the size of your garden. They And, and the interest and all the rest of it, it's, it's just fantastic. To, to anybody that's listening and they've got a small garden, don't forget to paint the sky. Yeah. Add layers, you know, think of a forest. Yeah. You're, not, you're not going to create a forest in your garden, but think of the way plants grow in the forest. You know, you've, you've your ground cover level and then you've your perennials and your shrubs and then your, your trees and adding all those different layers of interest and different heights, it just increases the amount of interest mm. exponentially in the garden. Mm. And, and you said that you're big into exotics, but you do like your kind of normal plants and in inverted commas as well. So you're kind of exploiting all those different layers, I suppose, to be able to get as many different plants in as possible, because obviously yeah. you're a plantaholic. Because I'm greedy. Yeah, I want to <laughs> grow all the plants, like everything that I see, you know, I want to grow. And there's a garden nearby, um, an old wall garden, and they've actually given me a corner of their garden. So then all my overspill plants are now being planted in there as well because I don't have enough space here for the plants. But I don't, there's plants that I love and I don't want to get rid of, but I don't feel I have space in this garden to grow them and I want to try new things to them, things that I want to keep, but don't want to, yeah, so I, I've started planting them over there as well. And then I also use that as a trial ground as well for new plants. So some things like lilies and things like that and um, daily seedlings, I'll grow them on there for a year and sort of assess them and pick out then the ones that I like and the ones that are doing, you know, have really good colours or shapes. And then I'll move them into this garden. So it's kind of backwards and forwards between the two. Conrad, do you, do, you, do you save your own seed from the dahlias that you have? I started to, I used to only grow big double dahlias. And then I, um, in the last couple of years, I've moved over to singles. I grow a few, a couple of doubles left and some of the anemone flowered ones as well but I'm definitely moving towards the you know the single dahlias and then I'm going to save you know all, all the good all the really good colors I'm going to start saving them but then it's, it's having the space then to grow them all out yeah because you know what, how many dahlia seeds do you get from one head of you know <laughs> seeds? Well, you get 50 plants at least yeah 
Exactly. You've got 50 yeah. plants. You've got to line them out. You've got to have the space to grow them on. Then you've got to assess them to see not just the colours, but how they grow. I mean, what the habit is, tall, short, medium, whatever. Um, and I do it every year. But I mean, I, I have to say, I do cut the numbers down to I, I probably trial maybe 15 or 20 a year. That's all. Yeah. It's too much otherwise. I tend to grow those in pots and we'll just see how they go. We've got some yeah. interesting colours and shapes, though. Yeah, I know. I know Jimmy Blake, Jimmy and his sister Jim, down in Wicklow. They do the same. They grow loads of um, single dahlias and then you know yeah. save their seeds each year and grow them on. And he's both of them have had some fantastic ones. Yeah, um, you know that they've produced. And it's well worth trying because I think when people buy a dahlia tuber, they think they grow it from seed. It's going to be like growing tulip or spring rye from seed or something that's a really long process but it's amazing what a dahlia seed produces in its first year yeah, yeah. it really is yeah yeah very exciting i need to do more of that uh, have you any other show and tell conrad i do so that was kind of some of the foliage that i have and then i mentioned um color so i have a few crocosmias now these are actually growing and the walled garden. I don't have these in my own garden. I do have other cosmos, but they're not just in flower at the minute. So this one is Hellfire. Oh, yeah. So it's a really nice one. It's really deep red. It's a bit like um, Lucifer, but I think I think it's nicer because Lucifer has a bit of orange in it. And I just, I've, I've kind of gone off it. It's still a good plant, but I've just kind of gone off it when I've seen Hellfire because it's a really deep, velvety, dark red. And produce a good amount of flowers as well because there in that stem you can see there's three sets coming. And then the other one that I have is I'm going to name drop here. This one came from Helen Dillon down <laughs> in Dublin. Um, a few of us were visiting her garden. Just it was actually the year she was moving to her new house, and I think we were there in August, and she was moving a couple of weeks later. And it was myself and some gardening friends and. We saw this Crocosmia down the back and pointed it out. And then there she was. She's always very generous. She was there. She arrived with the spade. And then we all dug up pumps of it and took them home with us. And again, it's really large, really orange flowers, really good heads of them. Um, and it just, they sit really well. You know, they just sit at that angle and then arch forward. Now, I am watching it because Crocosmias can be a bit invasive. And this one seems to be staying in a clump where has a habit, a couple of, Bulbs moving out, you know, six inches, eight inches away from the base of the plant. So this one may be a wee bit more rampant, but it's just the colour of that is mm -hmm. absolutely fantastic. Mm. Yeah, that's a real stunner. And I know, um, I think it was, we've got a, a viewer in, in Ireland called David, who the last time we mentioned Crocosmias was very excited, was like, shout out the Crocosmias. So this is like another instalment for you. <laughs> they are wonderful plants. I mean, I actually quite like the normal bog standard rombrisha really i mean it's yeah, um, yeah. they're just lovely like you see it oh. here in ireland and at, you know the hedgerows you have few like miles of fuchsia and then underneath so miles of fuchsia from south america and then the ordinary mombrisha the bright orange one then growing underneath it completely clashing but they just look fantastic together at this time of year oh conrad i got a challenge for you okay uh, <laughs> Um, well, crocosmias, I mean, that it's quite interesting what you can get from seed from them. I don't know, you probably know this, um, but some of the foremost breeders of crocosmias earlier in this century came from Norfolk, where I live. And um, I think it's quite interesting to actually, um, you know, do a couple of crosses and see what happens, especially something to, to try and get larger flowers. 
I'm going to try that because I have a couple of ones that I got from Cali Gardens over in Scotland. Yeah. And one of them is, I think it's Cali Sword. Yeah. And at the minute, it's about five foot tall. It's up. Uh, I am five foot nine and a half. And half yeah, very important. It's very important. Yeah, half an inch makes all the difference. Um, <laughs> so it's, I think it's up about my the foliage is pulled upright and it's up, up about my shoulder height. Um, but um, it's just, I see flower buds just starting to form at the minute. But the flowers themselves, they're not overly exciting on it. No. Um, they're kind of like brownish, um, a brownish orange. But if you could cross the legs of that and get a, re- I like really big plants now. Obviously. Um, we're talking about big plants and small gardens, but some, you know, these might be overpowering in a small garden. But you know, if I get a five foot high plant with flowers like that or that on it, it would be amazing. Um, so yeah, I'm gonna, I'm gonna take up your challenge and try that. Good. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Um, what else have we got? Oh, hedigiums, ginger lilies. I've grown loads of them over the years, and um. And our climate, well, it's the same throughout the, the British Isles, really, that a lot of the, you know, the American hybrids and the really fancy flowered ones, I find they don't flower because our summers aren't really long enough and they're not hot enough and our springs are kind of start-stop the whole time. So it takes them, you know, ages to really get going. But there are some that are hardy and will flower and are really, really tough plants. Now, this one, it's not the most exciting one. There are ones with bigger flowers, but this one is Yonanensi. It was collected by Roy Lancaster, this form here. Um, I think it's one of the hardiest um, ginger lilies you can grow. Um, I'm trying to remember where he... It was in Yunnan on Kunming in Yunnan that Roy Lancaster collected that. I can't remember if it was in the 70s or the 80s. And it's quite a short-growing one for me. It only is about maybe two foot tall at most, a foot and a half tall. And normally it would be in flower in July, but this year um, we've had a really slow spring. So it's a bit later this year. But I grow also Hitikium densiflorum Stephen and Sarung. And again, they're really good, you know, dependable flowers. There's Tara and another one. Oh, so you get Hitikium spicatum, which I don't, it's okay, but I don't think it's the most exciting one. But then there's one. That has the P dot bond in the end of it. So Hedigium spicatum P bond. It's quite hard to track down, but it was collected by Paul Bonavia. I think it was in the Burma Nepal border. And the flowers on it, they're similar to Yunanense, but they're they're just a bit bigger and they're more colourful. So they are sort of an ivory, and then there's orange and creams and yellows, and then it produces like a lot of the games do, the ones that flower, you know, the seed heads down in the autumn. So you've got the yellow or the red seeds and the um on a on a yellow background. And it's a really dependable one, a really good one to track down if you can get a hold of it. Um and I've also got this year Devon Cream, which is one of the larger flowered ones. I think it's a cross between it's Gardnerianum and Coronary Coronary Coronarium. I can't remember this the name of the one Coronarium, yeah that's it yeah that so i think yeah. it's a cross between those two um right so and um, it's supposed to be dependable in terms of flowering earlier in the year too so i'm hoping i'll get early flowers on that you know because they die back to ground level and maybe with the mulch as well in colder areas a lot of them are very hardy but 
just they may not flower before the frost come because they need quite a long growing season. I think here because we get so much rain, it kind of reminds them of their Himalayan homelands. You know, they're not homesick here, so they do they do quite well. Um, I just I just going to say to you, what is your annual rainfall? Because our annual rainfall here is twenty inches a year, which is almost like desert conditions. Yeah, you're quite dry there. So yeah. I remember walking through your desert garden and seeing some plants you can grow um, through the desert wash, but yep. we couldn't get away with them here. I think it's over a meter. Um, so I think it might be about 1.2. We have a weather station about three miles up the road. Um, it's up on a up on a hill, so they would have slightly higher rainfall up there. But yeah, we get yeah. plenty of rainfall. Now, if you move further down the east coast of Northern Ireland into County Down, right, the Arch Peninsula, where Mount Stewart is, they would have much higher sunlight levels and much less rainfall. But up here, you know, we're kind of at the edge of the Andrum Plateau. So we get a lot of rain, you know, that falls and then it just dumps, dumps on us. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I've, I remember get, I remember Mount Stewart is the first garden I ever saw, Veshenaria yuckyoides. I don't know. Do you know it? Yeah, you do. I do, yeah. I grow it, yeah. yeah. And it was growing at the foot of their lozier. And I thought, well, I'll never be able to grow that in England. Um but I went to visit an old gentleman down the road and there he had it growing in his garden, smack bang against the south facing wall of his house. And I said, oh, you've got Veshenaria. He said, you're the only one that ever knows what it is. Nobody <laughs> knows what it is. And uh, so I told him about um, Mount Stewart and everything. And he said, well, do you want a bit? So he dug his plant up, sp split it in half and gave me half. I've had it ever since. Amazing. Yeah, it's really tough now. I find in a cold year or sometimes hail shard and kind of damage the leaves a wee bit but it's you know I've never lost it you know even in those really cold winters and yeah. as you say you take a clump off or you take a chunk off the, the clump and just stick it in the ground and it seems yeah. to rock it right and the the, the flower spike mine flowered last year it's well it's a bit of a rude looking thing you know it's just like a normal <laughs> thing that erupts, erupts out of the centre um you know, over a few weeks, it expands out. It grows about six, seven foot long. And then the flowers themselves, you know, they're what, about an inch long and then they're pink yeah. and then they go to green at the tips. That's right. It's an amazing plant, yeah. And amazing again. I'm always really amazed that we can grow these things here. I've got a couple of variegated ones that I got recently. Flamingo Glow, I don't know if you grow it. So I've got the, one in a, I have one, yeah, one in a pot, but I don't, I mean, it's in the greenhouse. I don't pull it out. You know, I, I think maybe it's not hardy. I don't know. Yeah, I with the variegation may not be. And then I picked up one as well uh, from Cultural Garden Flowers called uh, Bob Brown. So it's yeah. got, rather than the, the yellow stripe to the centre of the leaf, this one's much more subtle. It's got sort of a creamy ivory, um, just edge the leaf as well. So hopefully I'm going to try them outdoors. But I've got three Flamingo Glows, so I'm, I'm going to experiment with growing one on the ground. Well, you, yeah, try one outside and see yeah, what happens. Yeah. Yeah. And let Alan know. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's yeah. a really valuable job you're doing, particularly, you know, with your wind and your rainfall. You're you're trialling all these plants so that other people know. It's great. Yeah. yeah. And then I, I was going to say in the patio as well, we have the back of the house is south facing. So we have now I've got a couple of or three small beds that I've got at the base of the wall. So now I have a south facing, you know, wall, the planting bed at the base. So I'm going to try plants that are a wee bit more tender or need a sort of slightly drier conditions as well. I got a couple of um, palm trees, Shamarops, Humilis, Vulcano, 
which is like a slightly smaller grown version of Shamarops humilis. Um, so I'm going to plant them either side of the back door. Um, now, eventually, maybe in about 100 years, they'd be too big for that position, but I won't need to worry about that. <laughs> then. Um, and then try, I'll try an experiment with different agaves as well, because a lot of the ones that even they say can take rainfall just don't really do well here. You know, the combination of rain and cold, but um, I'm looking forward to experimenting with that new planting position. As I say, that's just for what I was saying earlier about how every square inch of garden really counts. So this is, my, and I can grow climbers up the house now as well that I've got access to soil underneath. Um, so I'm looking forward to having fun with that. <laughs> now, more colour. <laughs> so these are, now I'm going to, I'm going to say I don't like these because there's a few things. Um, this is Lilium rubina, R-O-B-I-N-A. And it's one of, they call them tree lilies. They're basically, I, I don't like that name either because lilies aren't trees, but they are hybrids between the trumpet lilies and the oriental lilies. And oriental lilies need to have um, acidic ground. Trumpet lilies can grow neither. But these hybrids are really tough and they can grow in all sorts of conditions. But the problem that I have with them is because my soil is so rich, they grow about eight foot tall and the flowers are facing up the way. And I am five foot nine and a half, you might remember. So I'm looking up at these things and they're way up there. So I, you know, that's the view that I'm getting of them in my garden. So what I've, and they're also like, yeah, they're, they're a bit over the top, really, aren't they? Yes. <laughs> they just don't fit in, no. do they? No, 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 no. So I'm going much more refined now. Um, so, well, I have another one. And I don't mind this one as much. Now, this one is Terrasol, but it's still yeah. it's still a bit too, it's still a bit much, even yeah. among the exotic plants. And again, the flowers kind of sit at that angle. So what I've been doing is searching out um the new lily hybrids that are of that parentage but have either outward facing or downward facing blooms and they're not as large so this one i'll just not to petal off it but this one is mr pistachio and it's much nicer its scent isn't as overpowering as well it's quite a nice light scent whereas that one you would need a really big house like a really big hall or something to put them in if you were cutting them for the house but these ones here, you know, they sit at that angle. Yeah. yeah. And they're just so much easier it, to it, incorporate it into the garden. Grace, doesn't it? Yeah, exactly. And the colour is really nice. You know, you have the sort of yellow centre and then it fades to sort of ivory at the tips. And then another one, now this one is a bit bigger, but it's Easter morn. But again, it kind of sits at that angle. Um, it's kind of pink flushed in the rear. And then it's yellow in the centre. It's almost a bit like Lilium regali, but it is, it's just yeah. a bit more punch to it. Yeah. Um, but again, a nice, a nice scent. And then now Lilium nepalensi can be sort yeah. of a, a a tougher thing to grow because it likes to be drier in the winter. So they have hybridized Lilium nepalensi with some of the um, Oriental lilies. And they've come up with, there's a few different ones about this one. It's called Yin. So you get, there's Yin and Yan, and there's Kushimaya, and there's another one as well. I can't remember the name of. So these still need to have acidic conditions. Um, 
but it's a much tougher growing plant. It grows, it has much more vigor, but it still has William Nebulancy, the flowers tend to hang at that angle, whereas this one they sit out a bit there. But it's a really nice light scent, it's slightly lemony scent, mixed with an oriental lily scent. Um, but again, Conrad, all this talk about lilies, I'm going to have to ask. Uh -huh. do, you have, do you have the lily beetle? Don't mention that word. No, we don't have them here yet. I know that they are in the south. I know they're around Dublin and I know they're marching their way north and they've got as far as Andrew Town, which is about 50 miles, 40 to 50 miles south of here. And that's as far as I know, as far as I've heard that they've got. I know they're on their way. They're, they're marching north steadily. Yeah. And is it some spring they're gonna or some year they're gonna they're going to arrive? So I'm making the most of it while I can, but yeah. um, <laughs> as yet I can still get away with my lilies without yeah. having to pick them off. They're oh they're vials, so they are the way yeah. that the, the way the grubs they cover themselves in their own excrement and they're just, <laughs> they're just disgusting. Stopping. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm, I'm assuming that you have the manure gardens over there. Yeah, 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 we do. And I mean, I'm just yeah. sort of thinking that I've got a couple of clumps of um, something like your Rosita there um, and my front courtyard, which is just outside the window here. And the, the third, uh, bottom third of all the foliage is just ripped to pieces. Yeah. yeah. And I, thank God I had gloves on the other day. I just got my hand around the stem and I went up like that. And, ugh. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I crushed a few grubs, I guess. Yeah, you can be too squeamish. Um, <laughs> no, as I say, they are, they are marching steadily north, but they haven't, their legions haven't reached this, the north yeah. coast just yet. It's but, amazing, yeah. these pests. I um, I was in my kitchen the other day and I looked up, and, oh, there's a beautiful moth on the window. And I could, it was on, I could see the inside of it, so I didn't know what it was. Went outside and looked at it, looked it up. Box tree moth. Oh no. <laughs> oh, that looks so beautiful. What is it? Oh, of course it's the box tree <laughs> moth. And it's found my box. So <laughs> oh, no. and they're, they're really uh, like they decimate box, don't they? Like I'm yeah. I've got it here, but we well, as yet I don't think we've any blight. There was one wee bit that I thought maybe had box blight, but I'm not really sure yet. I'm keeping an eye on it, but there's and then there uh, there's box tree. There's the moth, and then there's blight, and is there something else attacks them as well? Yeah, or... they're not having a good time. No, no. <laughs> I don't know how much longer my box is going to be in the world, but I better start really enjoying it. And then I noticed actually, was it last year or the year before? Um, so they look like wee tiny shrimps, almost like wee crustaceans. Um, and I think they are they're from either Australia or New Zealand. I don't know how they get. We have New Zealand flatworm here as well. Um, you see the odd one each year, um, but these these wee guys they live under pots and like if there's piles of leaves you'll find you know you can find 30, 40, 50 of them and then if you move things they sort of hop about you know they sort of flick, um, but apparently they don't actually do any great deal of harm. Um, I cannot remember the name of them right now, but again it's all these different pests and diseases that are just coming in. Um, it is it is an issue. Um, yeah, you need but, to set up some sort of, I don't know, some armed guard at your garden gate to keep the lily beetle out with all of those lilies. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> they don't have a field day when they when they arrive here. All you need banquet. So, <laughs> um, 
Was there? I thought there was one more lily left. There is. So this is an Asiatic lily. This one is called Pink Giant, and it is not a giant. It grows about six. Well, so far it's about six foot tall, taller than me. Um, but they kind of they have a. They start out they've almost on all those peachy shades to the pink, and then as they age, you know, they there's a slight grayness to them almost. I'm not sure how well that's picking up, but. Fun. Really nice and really easy one as well, and it'll grow in alkaline conditions. Um, so for people that can't grow some of the, um, you know, the oriental lilies that need the the acidic conditions, these are really good and really tough and easy. So long as you don't have too many lily beetles to to deal with. <laughs> but I heard the lily beetles they strip the foliage, but do they do they really? You know, do they knock the lilies back for the following year or do the lilies still come back with as much vigour? They have had no adverse effect on the on the growth of the lilies. I mean, the lilies that, that went in um, two years ago, I mean, they probably reached metre, metre two. They're, they're nearly up to two metres this year. Yeah. Rainfall affects the, the growth of lilies, I find, too, because, I mean, you know, when, in being dry, you notice that they kind of stop and they don't I get taller. I've no experience with that at all. <laughs> well, this year we've had we've had quite a lot of a lot of rain um, for us anyway, and yeah, that suits them very well. And the other thing that I've grown actually, which I didn't think would grow for me, but I bought five corms of Lily Moratum, the Golden Raid Lily of Japan. Mm -hmm. which, yeah, I saw it growing at Blickling Hall, which is in a uh, stately home in Norfolk in their woodland area, and thought, well, I'll just try a few. And to my amazement, I've got two that have actually done better than they did last year. Yeah. So hopefully, who knows? That's a beautiful one. I've never grown it, but I've seen pictures of it. It's really, yeah. really nice. One. Yeah. yeah, and a good smell too. Yeah, yeah, which is really important because that's the thing with most of the Asiatics, the, the majority no, of them are exempt as well. So that's kind of a disappointment with some of them. But Yeah. So at this point, I feel like I want to rip half the plants out of my garden and just replace them with half the things you've spoken about. Um, I am having a, a huge amount of FLOMO, um, which actually, I mean, this this idea, this thing we do on the podcast where we talk about the, the plants that we've seen that we want to grow, our floral or plant-based fear of missing out. I mean, with a small garden, you, you must have quite a lot of this, Conrad, because clearly you are obsessed with plants you're always following new introductions you're looking at catalogs you're looking at plant listings and um you obviously only have your garden and this bit of walled garden to work with yeah um i saw so there you know i grew plants for a few years and then some of them might be moved to the walled garden or some might be given away but i'm quite ruthless as well so if, a bit like alan's um pseudopanics after a few years if a plant isn't doing it for me it's gone and i'm not overly um, sentimental about them either you know if it's if plant isn't working rip it out cut it down you know I'm not not sentimental about gardens at all it's an opportunity to try something new but like I mentioned quite a few of the Schaeffler's and my plumo is Schaeffler microphylla I have to admit I have grown this in the past and lost it over winter but I've been speaking to a few people that are growing it and they managed to get away with it in conditions similar to mine, so I want to try it again. It's just a matter of getting hold of it. It tends to be quite expensive and hard to get. So I want to make sure that I take care of it and that it's not going to keel over again after the first winter. But it's, so the Schaeffler's I had shown earlier. So these are, you know, the quite big leaves. The Schaeffler microphylla, the leaves on it could be 
18 inches. Each, each of the leaflets could be 18 inches long and they could be four or five inches wide. And then the underside of them is covered in again orangey ginger indumentum. And it grow, it's ultimately a, a small a tree. Um, but that it, it's tender enough. But I know of somebody growing it inland in County Galway that manages to get away with it. So if he can grow it, I can as well. So that's does my he, does, does he grow it under trees, Conrad? No, he doesn't. It's a new oh. garden that's similar to mine and it's exposed, you know, it's open. You know, he yeah. lives in a housing development, there aren't really trees around him. At the minute, you know, it's it's not above the height of the fence, as far as I know. It's maybe getting to that point, so it'll catch a wee bit of wind when it gets a bit taller. But no, there's no shelter at all, because that's what I thought, you know, growing under an evergreen tree yeah. would be the place to grow it, but he can get away with it. Whoa. Completely exposed. But then, yeah, Ireland's a very different climate, you know, and, and microclimates, of course, as well. Microclimates in your own garden, because, you know, you, yeah. you, you have two plants one planted 10 foot away from the other, one grows white well and the other doesn't. Yeah, yeah. Explain. <laughs> and there is another plant that I, and I'm going to, it's a canna, but I haven't managed to actually track down the species name of it. And I don't know if anybody grows it or if it's even been properly under just under cultivation. But apparently it's a scented canna that grows quite large. So if you imagine um, canna emane, I think it's something similar to that, but it has creamy flowers. From memory, this is, but the flowers apparently smell like freesia or lily. So if you can imagine a scented canna, and a bit like the crucosmia there that Alan's talking about trying to um, cross some different types, what I would love to do is get a hold of that scent, that canna that has scented flowers, and then try and cross it with some of the colourful ones to get a, you know, a range, can you imagine a range of cannas that had really bright coloured flowers yeah. or purple foliage, and then a scent as well on top of that. Fantastic. Yeah, but I have to track down the species name and then, I don't know, make a trip to South America or Central America <laughs> and try and find it. It'll be a dangerous place to go, Conrad. <laughs> yeah, could be. Could Quite be. the undertaking. So it's interesting that coming into this podcast, and I obviously knew that we talk a lot about exotics um, when we were talking to you, Conrad, but I, um, I just happened as I was spending my hours sort of scrolling past lots of plant porn on Instagram, I went past an amazing photo from Jurassic Jungle, Jurassic Jungle underscore, I think if you're going to look up uh, photos from their garden. And... I've heard of and I've seen pictures of Manahot Grahamii before, but they, the photos and taking it against the sky and just all these different angles, I just, I, I feel like I might have to explore more exotics, even if it's not Manahot Grahamii. I, I think the, this is a whole new chapter in my garden. I don't know how I'm going to fit everything in, but I'm going to try. <laughs> Well, I, this this is kind of my aim. I try to introduce, you know, I do plant talks as well to plant clubs. So I try to introduce people to things that are a bit different. You know, you don't have to have a whole exotic garden like I have, but you know, trying something a wee bit different. And yeah, you know, you might get a bad winter in four years' time or five years' time, and you might lose it. But you know, for the pleasure that it's given you over that period, definitely, you know, it's worth trying something a wee bit different. Yeah, and and Conrad, I'll add to that. If you buy a bunch of flowers, they'll be dead in a week. Yeah, yeah. I, so, you know, you buy a bunch of them for 15 or 20 quid, and as you say, it's gone in a week. Whereas yeah. you could buy a plant for the same price and have, well, you could have five years out of it, or, you know, you could have 20 yeah. years out of it. Well, Alan, what's your FLOMO this week? 
And my FOMO is going to be have more of something that I've already got. I went over yesterday to look at our national collection. Yes, we have a national collection of colchicums. I was just checking on them, actually, because we grow them in water lily baskets so that we make sure that each variety stays true to it where it's supposed to be. Um, and uh, underneath, uh, there's a grove of eucalyptus behind them. And underneath the eucalyptus, there's a plant called Bupliorum fruticosum, which is something that um, Val Bourne has mentioned on a recent podcast. And it's something that I've had for a very long time. And I suddenly looked at it and I thought, I need more of you because you're quite exciting. And the reason it's exciting is if you've got the space to use it as a background plant. It, do you know it, Conrad? No, uh, no. How, what does well, it look like? Well, it's a, it's a shrub. It has um, slightly glaucous leaves, but these brilliant heads of lime green umbella for flowers. Not huge, but I mean, just... It's the kind of plant that looks as if it should be in the background, but somehow or other, when you see it, it will speak to you. You know, it'll just say, look at me. Yeah. I'm not, I'm not loud. I'm not colourful. I'm not like a lily. It's <laughs> <laughs> more than five foot nine and a half inches tall. <laughs> and also great for pollinators. Uh, it is, yeah. It's a great thing for pollinators. It's also great for picking as well, if you want something to mix in with, with other things. But I just sort of thought, you know, that I ought to consider putting this Bupliorum fruticosum in a few other places in the garden. I mean, you know, I, I'm, I'm trying to sort of improve my garden the whole time. So each area that I go into and I work on, I think if there's a common plant there, it's got to be a common plant for the right reason, i.e. it's a good, pl good plant, yeah. it's worth growing. Otherwise, I want to grow something either more exotic or slightly different or better than. And I think that... Um, possibly Bupliorum fruticosum, deserves its place because it's an ideal plant for growing other plants through and with. Clematis, for instance, if you get some interesting, and I don't like those huge flowered clematis either very much, but give me some of the species ones or the viticella hybrids. Um, and I, there's an awful lot of breeding being done with them recently. And I just think, whoa, that's something that could be really interesting because Bupliorum is now flowering July, August, September, Lots of the clematis that, that coincides with their season. Um, that's my thinking. That's my flomo. Yeah, I think it's it's funny sometimes how you know there there can be plants that you've grown for years or that you've seen about, and just suddenly it's like a light bulb moment. Yeah, moment, yeah, and just it clicks, and you think, yeah, you're a really good plant. Yeah, I need I need to have you in my garden. Or yeah. I've certainly got food for thought now, Conrad. It has been a joyful hour of planty chat. Well, thank you very much. It's been an enjoyable. Uh, great to meet you, Conrad. I've really, I really enjoyed it. I mean, it's it's so interesting. You get a fresh take on things, and I mean, you've reawakened my um, love of schlepherus, if you like. Schleffer rhododendrifolia we grow here, and it grows yeah. in the open. It's fine, and it grows really, really well. Taiwaniana, I lost. I don't know why. Okay. Yeah. Um, could be just neglect or in the wrong place, but um, that large leaf form that has yet to be named. <laughs> that's on my radar i have to say join the queue <laughs> well thank you for inspiring us and uh happy gardening conrad thank you very much <laughs> hey fordis here just to say thank you so much for listening to talking dirty you are now officially our favorite person if you really liked it, please do subscribe because we'll be back for more plant-loving mayhem next week. And as you're our new favourite person, we don't want you to miss out. 
If you've got a question for Alan and the experts, you can email it to hello at getgardeningnow.co.uk. So happy gardening, and we'll see you, oh favourite person, next time.